Well, one of the most exciting things about the Christian life is that when we meet Jesus, we actually do get invited to live a completely new life. Not a life that we once lived like before, but we get given the opportunity and an invitation into a new life. And um, today, there's a number of people who are getting baptised at the pool over at the Geeskins later on. And that's at 195 Bray Road. If you've got an email saying it's at 126, you can go there, but everyone's going to be at 195. And the people at 126, whoever they are, they're going to get a rude shock, (laughs) all these people turning up. Uh, But turn up at 195 Bray Road and and come along and celebrate with those that are getting baptised today. Because baptism is a celebration of a new life that we get in Jesus Christ. If you've got your scripture with you, your Bibles, your apps, open them up for me to Romans chapter 6. And I want to read this to us this morning. While you're doing that, this invitation from Jesus is to a new life. It's a life knowing first and foremostly that God loves us in Christ Jesus. That in the person of Jesus Christ, God is using a megaphone to get the attention of our heart, to get the attention of our life, that God loves us. It's it's an invitation to a new life where we're no longer walking every day wondering if God is for us, but we're now with Jesus walking a daily experience knowing that we have been reconciled with God. There's no outstanding argument. There's no outstanding angst or animosity or anxiety in any direction anymore. To live with Jesus is to realise I've been reconciled with God and God is okay with me. God is at peace with me and now I can walk every day knowing peace in my life toward God and toward other people. Um, Knowing the the baptism experience or the experience of coming into a new life in Jesus is one where we are filled with the very power of the person of the Holy Spirit. The power that rose Jesus from death lives in us. So we don't live under a spirit of rejection. We don't live under a spirit of whatever the last person in line had an opinion about us and what they perceived of us or a judgment on us. We don't live under that. We have to contend with that but we live under the generosity of the power of the person of the Holy Spirit who lives within us and that we can now engage with people filled with the Holy Spirit. A new life in Jesus is one that is characterised really in its simplicity by one word. And that one word is yes. When Jesus says, would you follow me? Would you do it my way? Would you live like this with me? And that one word on our end is simply yes. Really, that is the life of being a follower of Jesus. And it's one where we can also now, even as we've been empowered and cooperate with the Holy Spirit to say yes, we can also say no. We can say no to our flesh. We can say no to broken thinking. We can say no to the works of the enemy that seeks to rob and kill and destroy our yes life in God. We are now empowered to actually say, no, 
No. We, we're, we're, not, we're not at the, the, uh, the, we're not subject to the power of the enemy anymore because we have in Jesus come out from under the reign of the enemy and into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got the power now to say yes to Jesus and no to the enemy and no to even the cravings of our flesh as it's learning to say yes to Jesus. You know what else that I think is a wonderful characteristic of a new life in Christ? It's joy. Joy in all things, in all circumstances and at all times. There is this fruit of being connected with Jesus Christ that births hope. It was pouring out of Scott this morning as he was standing up the front here facilitating our prayer time. He's like, I'm just like, I can see, sense Jesus in the room and the Holy Spirit's moving. This, this is what a life in God looks like. It's this great connectivity with God. We can say yes to God and we can have joy. And not only, this isn't, I'm not talking about joy that makes us feel all warm and gooey inside alone, but I'm talking about joy that we now get to partner with God in setting people free from the work of the enemy, from sin. This new life in Jesus is an amazing opportunity and uh, of living a whole new way. And God invites us into the power of that invitation every single day. Let me, let me read Romans 6 to you. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Now, when Paul says that, he puts a big exclamation mark at the end of that. In other words, he's making an emphatic declaration. And if Paul was here, he might have even done, he might have said, by no means. And he might have done one of them. It's a no, no, by no means. He's emphatically making a point of declaration and demarcation. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Or don't... Um, or we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that... So in order that... Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be a slave to that sin because anyone who's died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. And the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God 
as those who've been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law. You are under grace. Next slide. Thanks, Neil. The kingdom journey for Jesus included the experience of baptism. Baptism for Jesus was an integral part of the declaration that the kingdom of God is at hand and that now all people can live a new life. Matthew 3, 13 13 to 15 reads, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. John tried to deter him by saying, It's I who need to be baptised by you, and, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfil all righteousness. And then John consented. Now, last weekend when we had Ken here, Ken did an amazing series of teachings on the authority of God that comes over our life. And the the launching pad of Ken's teaching was this experience of Jesus being baptised. That in Jesus' baptismal experience, as John baptised him in the waters, he came up through the waters and the Spirit of God came upon him and a voice of the Father was heard making a declaration of sonship and authorization. So for Jesus, baptism was a very part of the kingdom journey and so too for us all as we follow Jesus. Next slide, thanks, mate. For the disciple of Jesus, baptism is this. It's a public act. Now let me just say this. One of the biggest challenges we have as a culture of Aussies is we want to keep religion private. We want to keep it out of a way, especially like at the barbecue. Don't talk about, what, what don't you talk about at barbecues? Politics and religion. Well, this, this act of baptism is let's turn up at the barbecue and do something very public. Let's make, let's push through that cultural expectation that says, don't let anybody know about this. This is one of those breaking moments where we push through culture and we actually live a kingdom life that says, hang on a minute, I'm not going to live under the culture that says keep this stuff private. I'm actually going to live this in a public way that makes a very loud statement to the people I'm living around and living with. It's a public act, not a private act. And it's an act of outward demonstration and declaration. It's demonstrating that by faith we are connecting ourselves to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came, who lived, who died, was buried, resurrected and ascended, and who now lives and rules and reigns at the right hand of God. It's a public demonstration of a declaration that I belong to him. What he did right there in his life, death, and uh, burial and resurrection and ascension by faith and the power of the Spirit, I am mystically and yet very tangibly caught up in that and given to that. And so that's my experience and I'm telling the world. It's a bit like, um, you know, Facebook these days is a great tool that everyone wants to tell the world about what's going on in their life. Here's what's happening in my life. Well, baptism is like a Facebook post to the world, an Insta peak that says, hey, this is real for me and I'm making a declaration. 
and you, you need to know about it. You need to know about it. It's the best thing I can let you know today. It's an act that says something has happened to me internally. It's a transforming act. It says God's got a grip on me and he's changing me and he's making me more like Jesus. Like that song we sang today. For me, for me, only Jesus. For me, for me, only Jesus. That's what's going on. He's got a grip on our life and he's changing us. Man, the stories that are in this room that I know and have walked with over the years, Jesus has most certainly got a grip on us. There's many wonderful stories in this room where God is changing us and making us more and more like him. John 3.3, when Jesus was with Nicodemus one night, Nicodemus came and visited Jesus in the watches of the night because he didn't want anyone to know he was talking about religion and politics. So he came in the middle of the night and Jesus has an encounter with him and he says, Nicodemus, I'm going to tell you something straight. I'm not mincing my words here. Jesus says, I tell you a truth. It's a straight, no fanfare truth. He says, unless... Uh, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Jesus, in this encounter with Nicodemus, is inviting him into a life with Jesus as Lord and King in his kingdom. But for that to take place, Jesus needs to take a grip, get a good grip on our life. And there's a response on our end to that. Jesus also, that's a very internal experience that takes place for many of us. For some of us, our, when Jesus got a grip on us, or he may still be getting a grip on us. For many of us, it might have been in the quiet with a friend who maybe prayed with us and introduced us to Jesus. For some of us, it may have been in a, a moment of isolation on a mountaintop where we cried out, oh God, if you are real, please make yourself known to me. And the grip of Jesus came over our heart. There's an internal thing that takes place in us. And then Jesus said to uh, his disciples just before he ascended, he said, I want you to go into all of the world and make disciples of all people groups. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's the external outworking of the fact that Jesus is busy getting a grip on people's hearts all over our world all over the people that we work with, all over the, people, the, the, the young people in our schools, all over the children that are in next door today in Jive, and all over the people who are doing their best to ignore the fact that God is calling them. And they're working very hard to deny that reality. So baptism is an external action that is telling the world, Jesus has got a grip on my life. And I'm going to make a declaration to everybody that he's now my Lord and King. Next slide. Thanks, Neil. Now, for some people, let me just clarify. This is not some value-added add-on that you, know, that you need to get saved. It is an integral experience for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus. Water baptism is not an add-on. In fact, baptism doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't save you. What saves you and me into the kingdom of God is the faithfulness of Jesus and who he was and is and forever will be. 
He, he, his faithfulness made a way for us all to be restored to God. Baptism is just the, the declaration, the external outward sign that says, I've given my life over to the faithfulness of Jesus, who's made me right with God and right with myself and right with the people around me. And it's a free gift. We do baptise people in the understanding and in the spirit that God the Father has given us the free gift of a new life, an eternal life. Now let me just clarify eternal life because that's one of those Christian phrases that people toss around. If we were to um, understand that uh, um, in the New Testament sense of the word, it literally means this, the life from above. It doesn't mean when I die, I go to heaven. That's included, but not alone. What it means is that we are given a new gift of life from above, right now in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So we don't have to sit on the sideline now that we've been saved and I have to just wait till I die so I can enter eternal life. No, the ages to come have already broken into this present evil age in the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. The future has already come. Jesus has brought eternity to us now. So we can walk in that life from above now, like right now today. We don't have to wait to die to get the good stuff of the kingdom of God. I mean, praise God for that. Otherwise, this ride would be incredibly boring. And I would most likely turn back to my old ways because there's a lot of now and presence and power in the old ways right here, right now. Well, the kingdom of God has come in Jesus Christ right here, right now and brought us into that life of eternity here and now. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's not an, it's not an add-on. It is an integral experience though. And if you haven't been baptised... I encourage you, today is a really awesome day to do it. And and some of you might be in this room going, yeah, I was baptised once and I'm kind of sitting here and my baptism experience right now in my heart is starting to speak to me because the Holy Spirit's starting to stir in my heart and say, remember, remember, remember the declaration you made for Jesus? The Holy Spirit is a wonderful person. He's never forgetful. But the Psalms tell us that we always are forgetful. That's why um, David wrote, Psalm, I think it's 103, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Why does he say that? Because he's forgetful. He's addressing the very issue that we forget, but the Holy Spirit doesn't. He lives and breathes and resides in you and is constantly prodding and provoking and promoting the memories, the work, both past, present, and the hopes of a life of living with God. Some of that might be stirring up in you and God might be graciously and mercifully and gently saying, come on, let my grip get, get a hold of you once again. Let my grip get a hold, let my love, let my forgiveness, let my mercy 
Let my hope, let my, my love and power get a good grip on you again and let's live this eternal life right here, right now. Don't wait, don't waste, don't, don't ignore, don't push off for another day. What the Holy Spirit right now might be stirring in your heart today. Why should I get baptised? Let's jump on to the next one. Thanks, Neil. Next slide. We walk through baptism in an obedience to Jesus' command. It's our yes, Lord. Baptism is that place where we agree with the command of Jesus to be baptised. If anyone loves me, John 14, 23, they'll obey my teaching and my Father will love him and will come and make our home with him. It's our yes, Lord. It's our obedient response. It's our, okay, God, I'm yielding myself to who you are in this. We also walk through baptism to signify a new spiritual reality of being a new creation in Jesus Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Does that mean we... we, we <laughs> We understand the fullness and the richness and the fruit of all of that being a new creation right immediately? Well, no. Is it available to us? Yes. It's a difference between living with a slave or a servant mentality and a son or a daughter mentality. I'm working on this one in my, in my tribe and, and I'm kind of... This, this might sound a little hard, but hang with me. I'm, I'm waiting for the day that my tribe, no one in the tribe, I'm talking about in my house, my household, my family, no one needs to be asked to take the rubbish out. I'm, wait, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for the day. Someone's actually going to look at it and go, I'll do that. It needs being done. Without, without being asked. I mean, that might sound like a bit much to ask, but I don't think so because that's the difference between being a servant that has to be reminded of the duty of being a, a healthy participant in a life of a family as opposed to a son that says, or a daughter that says, my family's well-being is really important to me and if I can just help out by getting rid of that rubbish then I'll do that because I know that if I do that, it'll make things easier on the next person that's in, around me. Does that, does that make sense? I pray. I pray that God would bless you with empty rubbish bins. I pray that your, your family would be blessed with a sense of son and daughtership that just says, hey, I want to be a healthy participant in the life of my family as a son or a daughter. That's what it means as we become these new creations in Jesus Christ. God has done everything that he needs to do and he has given all authority and power to be able, for us to be able to be sons and daughters. In fact, Paul uses that language in Romans. I think it's Romans 9. He goes on, his spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father. I'm not, a, I'm not a slave anymore. I'm, I'm a child of God. I'm still learning, though, without God having to speak to me all the time and say, hey, Kirk, take the rubbish out, please. I'm, I'm, I'm actually b becoming more like my heavenly Father 
as the Holy Spirit empowers me. So yes, I am a new creation when I come up out of that water as I make my declaration. And yes, I am growing up into my new identity as a new creation in God. Do I have all that sorted out yet? No, because sometimes I forget that when I'm confronting demons, I actually have power and authority as a child of God to tell that stuff to shut up, be quiet and leave. I forget that sometimes, do you? I forget that sometimes when confronted with sickness and poverty and evil in the world, that, that, that God has actually empowered me and filled me with his love and authority to step into those spaces and engage and see that completely transformed and turned around. Because we're children of God now. I'm still learning that, and I think we all are. And you know what? The hope of Christ is that we will all at one point, one day, come into the fullness of that revelation where there'll be no more tears, no more doubt, no more struggle with any of that as the kingdom comes in all of its fullness. Next slide. Thanks, Neil. Who should get baptised? Baptism is for those who repent. Now, now hear me. Please, please hear me. That word metaneo, it literally means that word repent, metaneo, means you change the way you think. It's a moment to reconsider. It's got nothing to do with repent, meaning stop being a naughty boy or girl and behave properly. It doesn't mean that. It actually means change your thinking about who God is and how he's revealed his great love to you and let your life be orientated now, not away from him, but living underneath the generosity of his gaze and kingdom. And live with that orientation that I, I now think that God is good. God is all forgiving. God is gracious. God is powerful. God is all providing. God is wonderful and king. And I live unto who he is now. That's what repentance means. Change the way we think. Now, that I just gave you the big picture. On the little picture... In the day-to-day stuff, changing the way we think, is things like this. Oh, God, I don't have enough. We'll never have enough. This is all coming to an end when we don't have enough to put fuel in the car or we don't have enough what we think is groceries in the cupboard or we don't, whatever that thinking is, or there is no hope for my, for my marriage, or there is no hope for my workplace environment to ever be changed, or there is no hope, there is no nothing. Nah, 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 nah. Change the way you think. Repent. Turn that thinking unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You don't have to do that alone. Jesus is getting a, if you allow him, he'll get a good grip and empower that, that choice. Repent and be baptised, every one of you. This is what Peter said in, in the book of Acts. When the Holy Spirit's being poured out at Pentecost and everyone hears the good news of the message that Jesus Christ is actually the Son of God, the Lord. And everyone's listening to this and everyone then says, Peter, what do we do? What, what on earth do we do now? Because God was getting a grip on their heart. In fact, the scripture says they were cut to the heart. In other words, their heart was like with, with this love of God. It came to their hearts and they're like, Peter, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptised, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Change the way you think. Even about your grubby sin. It's not Lord of your life anymore. Jesus is. Jesus is. So you just tell your grubby sin, hey, I I, I have been forgiven. I'm not going to live under that guilt and I'm not going to live under that power anymore. And I'm going to choose to have my life ordered by him, not by you anymore, sin. As we approach being baptised, we repent of our sin. Here we're talking about turning our back on our sin, our wrongdoing. It literally means turn around. Who should get baptised? Anyone whose heart is getting a good grip by Jesus. And you can feel the power of the Spirit inviting you to change the way we think about God. Man, I thought God would ruin my life. I really did. <laughs> and, and, and let me say, but I thought in a negative sense. I thought God was going to ruin my life, my dreams, my plans, my hopes to make my life all about me and let everyone serve that great vision. Well, God did ruin my life. His love did get a grip of my heart, but he completely turned it around. He ruined me by his love to now live with this sense of my life is not my own. It's for the greater glory of God and for the well-being of people both near and far. My whole life now is one that gives life to others because God's got a grip on it. I'm no longer held by the, the selfish nature and the constrictions of wanting to make this all about me and my security and my well-being and me, me, me. I've been set free from that, praise God. It's good to get outside your own head every now and then, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And get into the head and the thinking spaces of Jesus and the mind of Christ. And as we take captive all that wrong thinking and we subvert it to the lordship of Jesus who says, hey, come on, you have got a whole life to live. There's a new way of seeing yourself. There's a new way of seeing God. There's a new way of seeing others. Now, there's a, there's a journey I'm on, as we all are, learning to see others as Jesus does. That he died for them as much as he died for me. Next slide, thanks, Neil. Who should get baptised? Baptism is for those who believe in Jesus. At baptism, we've come to the place of recognising that Jesus and his rule and reign as a king has broken in over the world and my heart as a personal saviour and lord. Next slide, thanks, Neil. Who should get baptised? Baptism is for those who confess their sin and faith in Jesus. We must confess our sin and then God forgives our sins and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness and that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Baptism is for all of those who repent and have turned away from their sin, both past and present, and believe in Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour and confess your sin to him. That's who should get baptised. Just finish with this word, that baptism. Next slide, baptizo. Now it's the start of the footy season and let me tell you, there are some colourful characters on the sidelines, especially if you saw anything of that Geelong game on the weekend. Geelong fans, they are crazy. 
if you've ever seen anything of Geelong fans. Now, now Scott knows what I'm talking about. He's a Victorian. He understands what I'm talking about here. But I, I, I'm, I'm trying to find a, the, the NRL equivalent. The, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Who? Yeah, oh, sorry. What did I say? Geelong. Oh, Collingwood. I meant Collingwood. <laughs> Manly. Manly. The NRL equivalent. Manly. <laughs> um, but these guys are just mad fans. They turn up on the sideline, they buy their season ticket, they travel all over Australia, bus, plane, train, they, they work hard all year to spend their money on being at this football game every week during the season. And they wear crazy clothes, mad wigs, you know, warlike paint, and then they just get into this crowd and they just go, ah, for their team. They are mad fans, dyed in the wool, as many would call them. Well, this word baptism or baptizo is literally a word that, that was taken from the marketplace of Jesus' day where the fab, people that worked with fabric, they would take, they would make the fabric in like a, just a, like a white or a cream type cloth. That's how they would make it. And then out the back, they would take it and they'd have all these different pools of dyes, of different colours, and they would take the uh, material and they drop it in and then they, it would go down into the dye, they swill it around with a stirring stick or something or other and then they would pull it up out of the dye and the cloth would take on the new colour that it was dipped into. This is what baptizo means. It means to take on the nature of that which you've been dipped into. And so by baptism, Jesus is, is giving us the opportunity to be invited into his death, burial, life, death, burial, resurrection and ascension. And we now are dipped into that by faith and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we are dipped into that and we begin to take on that new nature in God. And we become died in not the wool, but we become dyed in Jesus, fans, resurrected, and we'll pay anything to participate, to play. We'll travel the world. We'll go to anywhere we need to go. Our feet will go wherever he calls because we have been taken on this new nature of God in Christ who is the hope of the world. Baptism is, to, is a complete identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's a couple of quick stories here to finish with on the next slide. There's these guys that were walking on the... Uh, oh, sorry, in the book of Acts, there was, um, Philip was uh, told by God to go to a certain place and wait. So Philip, as a disciple of Jesus, went and waited there. And along the way came the Ethiopian treasurer. And the treasurer, as they were passing by, Philip heard in Acts chapter 8, this treasurer from Ethiopia discussing a scripture, an Old Testament prophetic scripture from the book of Isaiah. And, he's, and then he says, how on earth am I meant to understand this? And Philip realises why God sent him. All of a sudden he goes, oh, I can help with that. And so he enters into conversation with the Ethiopian treasurer and the response of the Ethiopian treasurer after hearing Philip interpret that old scripture, Old Testament scripture and prophecy, which was about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he would do to forgive people of their sin and to carry away all sin and sickness of the world. The Ethiopian treasurer goes, 
Well, I need to, who, who could stop me? I need to be baptised. The fitting and right response is, I need to be dipped into this reality. And so he calls a halt, a halt to the entourage. Now, when you're thinking Ethiopian treasurer, just like contextualise that a little bit. Have you ever seen the, um, the entourage of whenever, wherever the President of the United States goes? They have like four cars, 20,000 like people on motorbikes, all the streets get stopped, everything, you know, security, choppers, the whole lot. It's like... Well, the Ethiopian treasurer is a, a person of great importance. Just think, though, camels, lots of big train of camels and all sorts of, like, security, intel all around making their trek from one place to another. And in the context of that... All of a sudden, the Ethiopian treasurer says, stop. Stop everything right now. All the business that I'm on, everything I've been sent to do, the emissary work that I'm representing, the, 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 the leader of my nation, stop everything. I'm putting all that aside right now. Someone has just told me about the good news of the person of Jesus Christ. I must be baptised right now. And so Philip just says, right, hey, let's do this thing. And the whole entourage is stopped. You getting the picture of the scale of this now? It's stopped. They get out of the, I don't know if it was, I don't know how they travelled on the back of a camel or something. Anyway, they got off camel or whatever and found some water right there on the side of the road and the Ethiopian treasure was baptised as an act of obedience to Jesus, as a public declaration of complete identification with Jesus' death, burial and resurrection, and as an act of signifying God has and is and continuing to change my life from the inside out. All of that was going on in the Ethiopian treasurer, even as it goes inside our lives and our thinking and our hearts as well. When's a good time to be baptised? Well, I would say today. Today. Today's a good day. Today's a good day to go, you know what, I'm not going to hide this anymore. I'm not going to play like what culture wants me to play, which says don't talk about religion and politics. Nah, I'm not going to play that game anymore because, because Jesus is getting a grip on my life as the Son of God and faith is coming alive in me and the Holy Spirit is stirring in me and I'm actually like really keen to get in the water and go, darn it, I'm doing it. Today's a good day to get baptised. Today's a really good day. So if you haven't booked in for baptisms today, I invite you, come, meet us at the pool at 12.30 today. Or even, actually, before you leave here, before you leave this building, come and see me or Nick. Come and see me or Nick. And we'll, we'll make sure it's all booked in. Now, I want to finish with this. I want to just... This week in our world... We have seen the absolute treasure, uh, tragedy of evil manifesting itself yet again. Robbing people, killing people and destroying the lives of people as they were just going about their everyday life in London. What do we make of this as disciples of Jesus Christ who are being invited by Jesus to live a different way in the world. Well, that word disciples, we know it well. 
It means to live as a student of Jesus. So firstly, it means we need to posture ourselves and have good conversation with Jesus and the scriptures about how do we respond to such gross manifestations of demonic evil in the earth. Let me simply say this. Jesus did not and does not see evil as some intellectual problem attributed to trying to understand the sovereignty of God and did God allow this to happen. Jesus does not think like that. The scriptures don't think like that. Often we struggle because we want to attribute how is it that evil can be allowed to reign How is it in the sovereignty of God as being all-controlling, all-present and um, all-engaged allow such a thing to happen? Rather, instead of attributing evil to not uh, having a grip on the sovereignty of God, Jesus, in the Scriptures, he addressed the presence and the power and the problem of manifest evil as a spiritual work attributed squarely at the feet of Satan. There is no doubt that the scriptures portray this. We need to, as followers of Jesus, not be left pacified by going, how could a sovereign God allow something like this to happen when the scriptures aren't asking that question? The scriptures are addressing the fact that God, who in Jesus Christ has addressed the presence of evil in this world, and it is a war. And 1 John 3, 8 tells us that the reason that the Son of God appeared, that Jesus appeared, was to destroy the devil's work. Every time... You see, God is busily engaged in confronting evil. Busily engaged. And every time you and I, in his name, extend mercy to those who are undeserving, we wreak war on the kingdom of darkness. Every time we, in the name of Jesus, say to those that we... Uh, their sin is profound and manifest for the world to see. And we say to them, your sin in Jesus is forgiven. You can be set free. We wreak war on the kingdom of darkness. We wreak war on the one who came to rob, kill and destroy. Don't fall foul of the enemy who would want us in any way or at any inch along the way to attribute evil to somehow God's higher, better, good plan. That's not what the scriptures do. The scriptures address evil front on in so much detail that God was so um, aggrieved at the nature of that his good creation was being robbed, destroyed and killed by the work of the enemy and the frailty of people in power, that he took on flesh and came and dwelt among us in the lordship of Jesus 
And Jesus healed the sick, he cast out demons, he resurrected the dead, he fed the poor, and he announced good news to all those who found themselves hopeless and without a sense of future and life. There is God engaging with the problem of evil. Please do not not attribute evil to some higher, greater good plan of God. That's not who our Father is as revealed in Jesus Christ. Our Father engages and seeks to establish true, right order and life for all people. Every time we engage in healing the sick, in delivering people who are set, set free by demonic um, oppression and infestation, we take the power from the reign of Satan and we say to him, your work here is done. It's done. And we do it in the name of the one who came and lived and died and rose again above the power of the very death that Satan thought he could do to hold Jesus Christ down in the grave. And then the earth shook because Jesus rose again. Please, in this hour and in this time, we need clear thinking disciples of Jesus who know how to engage with the corrupt manifestations of evil in this world in the authority and the name of Christ. Amen. All righty. That was a little side note on the end there, an important one.